Well, that's a great song. Amen? Uh, And it's very fitting for our text this morning. So I want to invite you to turn over to Mark chapter 12. Uh, We've been in a sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to start Mark 12. It's going to look a little different this morning than how I maybe would normally preach it, but Mark 12 is our jump-off text. It's our main text, and if you're feeling really ambitious... Uh, You could also mark Ephesians chapter 3, because we're going to look at something from Ephesians 3 a little bit later on in the sermon. You know, that is if you have a a hard copy of the Bible. I guess if you are using an electronic device, you can just flip over to Ephesians 3 really easily. But Mark 12, Ephesians 3, and then any other text will be on the screen. Uh, We've been studying Mark for a while. And I have loved this study of the Gospel of Mark. It's been very beneficial to my life. Um, I feel like even the more I I read the Gospels, even though I've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John many times and I've preached on them, I'm constantly learning more about Jesus. I'm constantly figuring out who he is and what this means to my life. And I'm determined more now than ever that I want Jesus to consume my life. I want Jesus to consume my family And I want Jesus to consume you. I want Jesus to consume others. I think this message that we're reading through the Gospel of Mark is so important that I want others to know about it. And if they don't know about Jesus, I want them to come and to hear or to study and learn about who Jesus really is. I want to start this morning with a prayer, and then we're going to get into this lesson. Lord, as we come before you today... We're grateful to be here. I'm thankful for for Jesus and the life that he lived and his words, his example, his death on a cross, the plan that you had put in place for us. We thank you for that. I pray that you would be with me right now as we study your word. I just pray that you would strengthen us and place ourselves under your word. And your word is powerful, and I pray that you would speak Through me right now, let your Holy Spirit come into our lives, Father, and just strengthen us in our spirit and our inner being. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, our main text, Mark 12, verse 28, uh, and following, you know, this is why that song was so important this morning, uh, Jesus has this interaction. You know, last week we left off in Mark chapter 11, where Jesus had cleared out the temple during Passover week. So that's a really big deal. Uh, What Jesus has done will actually lead to his death. But at the end of Mark chapter 11, just to catch you up with what's going on, Jesus receives a series of questions. In Mark chapter 11, after he clears the temple, some people come up to him and they say, who gives you this authority? By what authority are you doing these things? And of course, knowing Jesus, he responds to their question with his own question. And then in Mark 12, at the beginning of Mark 12, he tells a parable, and that parable explains the story, but it's directed at those who are questioning Jesus. And then in Mark 12, Jesus is asked the question, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? The purpose behind this question is they're trying to trap Jesus. They want to trick him. They're upset. They don't like his behavior in the temple. And so they're thinking, if we just get him here, maybe something bad can happen to him. So, of course, Jesus doesn't give them a straight-up answer. And then he gets another question from the Sadducees in Mark chapter 12. And they propose this ridiculous scenario about 
a husband dying, and then the wife marries a brother, and then he dies, and then she marries the next brother, and so on and so on. And so they ask, at the resurrection, who will be married to who? And they don't even believe in the resurrection, and so Jesus um, responds to their question. So you see, he's getting all these questions, and now in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, this is the fourth question that Jesus is receiving in the temple after the temple clearing scene. But this question, in my opinion, is an honest question. It's a teacher of the law who comes to Jesus and he's seeking clarity. He's asking Jesus about the law, but the reason, his motivation, we're told in Mark chapter 12 and verse 28, um, is he comes to Jesus and he sees that Jesus has answered everyone else well. And so he's thinking, this guy knows what he's talking about, so let me come and ask him a question. So Jesus is going to give this guy a direct answer. He doesn't respond with a counter question. He doesn't respond with another parable. He just gives him a direct answer. So when I was growing up, um, I was taught to always be respectful towards adults, towards teachers, authority figures. And so I had a certain level of fear, so I never was sarcastic towards adults. I never talked back to them. Uh, and one day I came close, and it was football practice my senior year. See, I was playing middle linebacker, which probably doesn't mean much to a lot of you, but uh, I was responsible for calling in the plays. I was responsible for making sure that everybody in the defense was lined up right, and I was responsible for my own position. So I was getting yelled at by my coach, Coach Cooper, my linebacker coach, and he, I was just having a bad practice, and he was letting me have it. Then I was getting yelled at by our head coach, Coach Sedbury, and he was letting me have it about something totally different. And then I was getting yelled at by the players. It was just a rough day. So finally, the closest I came to ever speaking back to a coach or yelling back at someone, I yelled back to Coach Cooper and I said, you're telling me to do one thing, Coach Sedbury's telling me to do another. I don't know what you want me to do. And without hesitation, he responded. He said, forget all that, just play football. And then I wound up having one of the best practices that I had that whole season. And that was great advice because it was like he was telling me, there's a lot of things to think about, there's a lot of things that can distract you, but just focus on what's most important right now. Do what you came here to do, and that's play football. Take the things that you've learned, apply them, but just play football. And that just released me, it gave me some clarity, it gave me the priority of what I needed. Fast forward 15 years later, it's a Saturday night before my first Sunday here at Pine Tree. And for the first time, I was really thinking about the weight of what this meant. What if, all these what ifs were going through my mind, what if I show up and they don't like me? That's the first time a lot of you had seen me. What if you look at me and you're like, I don't like this guy? Or what if I tell a story or a joke and you don't laugh at it? You know, what if? What if I make the search committee look bad? I'm going through all these doubts and fears and anxieties. And my brother called me, and I was sharing with him some of this nervousness that I was experiencing. And he said, remember what Coach Cooper told you? I said, you mean when he said, forget that, just play football? He said, yeah, just apply that here. And I said, what does football have to do with preaching at a church? And he said, just apply the concept. Forget all the other stuff that could be distracting. Forget all the worries and the potential things and the what-ifs and just go do what you're there to do. Do what God has called you to do and just go preach. And again, 15 years later, Coach Cooper's advice was very helpful to me. I focused on that. I listened to that that night and I just came in. I was like, I'm going to go do what God has called me and equipped me to do and I'm just going to preach. 
and focus on that. So this interaction with this guy in Mark chapter 12, he comes up to Jesus and he asks him this question, which commandment is the most important one or what's the first commandment? You see, there's 613 commands found in the first five books in the Old Testament. That's a lot. That's a lot of rituals and sacrifices and things that they had to follow and adhere to. And so this teacher of the law on Passover week comes up to Jesus after everybody else has been asking him questions, and he says, what's the most important thing? What's priority? Where do we place our focus? And unlike the other questioners, I think this guy just has honest motives. Something about Jesus has a magnetism towards him, and this guy is drawn to Jesus, and he asks this question. So Jesus responds in Mark chapter 12, in verse 29. The first is this, hear, O Israel. This is a Hebrew word, which means, it's the word Shema, so it means hear or listen. So hear, O Israel, known as the Shema. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's not multiple gods, we worship one God. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the song that Tony just led us in. So he asks him, what's the most important command? Well, Jesus gives him the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. That would have been the common response, the typical rabbi response. Love God with all of your being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. God is one. Shema, hear, O Israel. In Judaism, this is something they've still prayed to this day. And they did back in the first century. They would wake up in the morning, and when their feet would hit the floor, they would pray the Shema. They would pray it throughout the day. This was central to the heart of Judaism. So Jesus' first answer is probably what he expected. What's the first command? What's the most important command? What's the Shema? But then Jesus goes on and says the second is this in verse 31. This guy doesn't ask for a second most important command, but Jesus gives him one anyways. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So that first answer, the Shema, that's a typical answer, but the second one, love your neighbor as yourself, this comes from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. How, how often do you read the book of Leviticus? Probably not real often. A lot of those laws and rituals, you know, we're no longer under the old law, so we don't really spend a ton of time in Leviticus, and we don't have a great understanding of it. But if you were to scan over the book of Leviticus, there are a lot of laws and commands And even in chapter 19, the subtitle in most Bibles say various laws. So out of all of those, in Leviticus 19, 18, Jesus pulls out this love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, this is like the Shema. This is like the first one. To love your neighbor as yourself and to love God, there's no commandments greater than these. And that's what Jesus tells this guy. And this guy responds to Jesus in verse 32, the scribe, and he said, You're right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So basically the guy repeats Jesus. You're right, Jesus, loving God with all your being, loving your neighbor as yourself, those are the most important ones. But then he says this phrase at the end, this is more important than all the burnt offerings and all the sacrifices. 
Remember, they're in the temple. It's Passover week. What are people there to do? Why have people traveled to Jerusalem? They're there to make sacrifices, to buy an animal, to bring it before the priest, and to make these sacrifices. So this is before Easter. This is before the resurrection. This is a bold statement for this teacher of the law to agree with Jesus and then to tag along with that. This is more important. Loving God, loving your neighbor is more important. It takes priority over all these sacrifices that are taking place in the temple. So Jesus responds to him. In verse 34, Jesus saw that he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And then at the end of Mark 12, Jesus becomes the questioner. Jesus asks the question. But Jesus tells this guy, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And I've always been drawn to that. What does Jesus mean by that? You're not far from the kingdom of God. You're getting it. It's like this guy had the light bulb go off even more than the 12 apostles that were with Jesus. You're not far from the kingdom of God. It's not like Jesus is telling him, hey, forget all that other stuff, just go play football. He's not telling him that, but he is, he's not saying abandon all the old, old laws, abandon everything, just focus on these. But what Jesus is doing, he's providing clarity for this guy. Declutter all the things that are confusing you and all the ways that man has interpreted the law and just focus on these priorities, love God and love your neighbor. That's what's most important. And for us, as a church and as individuals, I think it's helpful to ask questions like that. Jesus was great at asking questions and people like to ask Jesus questions. So what's most important right now? Where do we place our focus right now as an individual? Where are you spiritually? And as a church, where do we place our focus right now? Back in December, uh, we challenged you to just spend a month in prayer. We had our seven commitments laid out, and we, we asked you to look over those, pray over those, and ask God to lead us for the coming year, for 2019. So hopefully you spent some time praying. I know I did, and I believe prayers have been answered. We have this mission we want to make, mature, multiply faithful followers of Jesus. We have our seven commitments as a church, but where do we go from there? How do we do this? And we've done several things along the way. And I was having this a conversation with, with Ty Ford one day, and we were talking about the vision, and one of the things that he suggested was to just maybe condense and focus where God is leading us and just have like a few focus areas that we really pour ourselves into for the year. And I, I really thought about that, and I was like, yeah, that's, that makes sense. And then I had a very similar conversation with Tony the next day in the office. Let's focus on a few things this year. Where's God leading us? So I'd been thinking about that, praying about that, and then one night on a Saturday night, I'd reviewed my sermon and done all my routines, and I was in bed, and I was just laying there, and it was about midnight, and all of a sudden, this thought came to me. So I grabbed my phone, and I wrote this out. Christ in you, Christ in others, and Christ in families. And it was like, as it, it was as clear as it could be, like God was stirring something within me, trying to tell me something, and I just thought, that's it. That's what we focus on. That's part of our seven commitments, and we just condense it down to these focus areas. Christ in you, Christ in others, Christ in families. So had a conversation with our ministry staff. We've talked about this as a vision team. 
And over the last few months and meetings and planning sessions and prayer times, we've been looking at these three areas, Christ in you, Christ in others, and Christ in families. And taking the advice of this conversation that Jesus has in Mark 12, what's most important? Well, that's what's most important, I think, for us to focus on as a church right now. So let's talk about that. Christ in you. What does that mean? That is about spiritual formation. This is about Jesus living in you, in your inner being. This is an ongoing pursuit. Christ in you is not something that eventually you graduate from or you fully accomplish. No matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, this is a lifelong pursuit. Christ in you. Paul has these famous words in Galatians chapter 2. And we've made them into like a youth group song. In Galatians 2 verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I knew how to sing, I would just lead that song right now. But I don't, so we're not going to do that. But that was Paul's goal, that was his life's mission. He's saying, I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And I don't think he's saying, okay, I've arrived, I got there. And I think that this is an ongoing pursuit. It was for Paul and it is for us. And then later in this letter to this church, in the book of Galatians chapter 4 verse 19, Paul says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. You know, first thought when you look at that may be, what does Paul know about childbirth? He doesn't have kids. He's not a female. What would he know? Well, we live in this world where we're often separated uh, when, during the birth process, you know, hospital, private room. But in the first century, it was a lot more open. And, and Paul would have been around and probably heard the pain that goes along with childbirth, but he knows the joy that comes afterwards. So for whatever reason, he chooses to use this example, but he believes it is so important. That was his desire for this church, is to have Christ formed in you. And so that's what we want to focus on, is Christ in you. Uh, there's a need for that, right? We live in a world where not just those outside of Christ, but for those who know Jesus, who live in inner turmoil. I mean, just think about the busyness and the stress of this culture that we live in. Anxiety and depression, busyness, overwhelming stress, all the things that go along just tear us up inside and we live in inner turmoil. And what better time... In the world's history, to have Christ living in us, like Paul says, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So how do we pursue Jesus and have Jesus living in us? Well, one of the main ways is something we call spiritual disciplines. Uh, As a church, since last September, we've uh, challenged you along the way with several things. We've called them church-wide challenges. We've challenged you to spend 15 minutes of quiet time each day. We challenge you to memorize 
a big section from Mark chapter 4. We challenged you to do some self-reflection and write out your own faith journey, your own story, and then to share it with someone. We challenged you to spend a month in prayer about our commitments. In January, we challenged you with this 10-day what-you're-going-to-quit challenge. These challenges are really just church-wide spiritual disciplines that help cultivate Christ living in you. Bringing in Eddie Gooch to come and do those classes with us in January, that's mental health, that's dealing with depression and anxiety. All of this is geared towards cultivating this relationship with Jesus, so it's Jesus who lives in you. And that's how we do it. We need to slow down. If you've ever had surgery before, I've had a few surgeries in my life. They put me to sleep. I wasn't awake for it. Can you imagine having surgery and the doctor's like, yeah, just go, go about your daily task, I'll follow you around and I'll cut you up and do what I need to do. That, that would be impossible. They need you laying down and they need you still. We live in such a busy, chaotic world that if we don't slow down and calm down throughout our daily and weekly routine, we're not making room for God to do the work on us that he needs to do. We need to unplug from those things that cause anxiety and stress and slow down and let Christ dwell in our hearts. And now we get to this Ephesians 3 passage that I asked you to turn to earlier. And I'm going to read in just a second Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 through 21. There's this prayer from Paul. Beautiful words, and you'll see kind of laced throughout this, this Christ in you, Christ in others, Christ in families. And one of the things that we've talked about with our vision team is we want to continue to challenge you to memorize Scripture because we think that's important. Because not only do you just memorize something for the sake of memory, you're soaking it into your inner being. So we chose Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, and I'm going to tell you right now, we challenge you to memorize this passage. We're going to come back to it throughout the year. This is our theme passage for the year. But you have about nine months to try to memorize that, so surely you can do it. And if you're a procrastinator, don't wait till December to start trying to memorize this. The point is to be with this passage throughout the year, to let it become a part of who you are. So let me read Paul's words from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And as a church can we say, Amen. That's a great prayer. That's something we want to challenge you to memorize. Mark that in your Bible. Write that down. And begin dwelling on this, memorizing this passage, meditating on it. 
And it's encouraging to me to know if I'm going to try to memorize a passage and spend a lot of time in it, I'm not alone in this. That's inspiring to know I'm not doing this by myself, but we're going to do this together as a church. If you've ever been on a flight, you know they give pre-flight instructions that nobody ever pays attention to, but they show a video anyways, and the flight attendants act it out. And there's always a spot in the pre-flight instructions where they tell you if there's a drop in pressure in the cabin and we're losing oxygen, an oxygen bag or an oxygen mask will drop right in front of you. You've seen this on the video. Thankfully, I've never been on a flight where that's happened. But they always tell you that when you put your oxygen mask or your oxygen bag on, you take care of yourself first. Make sure you apply it to your own face first before you help your child or before you help anybody sitting next to you. Why would we do that? If we're parents, wouldn't that seem selfish to take care of ourselves first before we would try to help our child? Well, the point is, if you start trying to help your child and you can't breathe, you're not going to be able to help your child. But in order to really help your child or help someone sitting next to you, you put on the oxygen bag first, and when you can breathe, then you're really, truly able to help others beside you. And a part of Christ in you, this ongoing pursuit, is so that we can breathe spiritually. We can slow down long enough and breathe in the Spirit of God so that we can drink from a deep well. And if we want to reach others, if we want to make and mature and multiply faithful followers of Jesus, we can't give what we don't possess. We can't give Christ to others if we're not living from Christ. So Christ in you and then Christ in others. This is the second of our focus areas for this year and for the remainder of this year. And to save some time, instead of just getting into all the nuts and bolts of how we do this as a church, there's a lot of great ministries that we're involved in. And I could list them, we could talk about them. Back in December, I did a short little vision update on, I think it was December 8th or December 9th on that Sunday morning sermon. So I won't get back into all of that. But I will remind you that Jesus tells that teacher of the law, Mark 12, the second greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself. For whatever reason, Jesus believed that that command was prioritized over everything else. Love God and love your neighbor. So how do we love our neighbor as ourself? Well, one of the best ways to truly love people is to give them Jesus. Through relationship, through conversation, through life, through love, through service, to give our neighbors in our own neighborhood, to give our neighbors in this community, to give them Jesus. And one of the ways that we've strategically tried to do that over the last year is this question that you haven't heard me say in a while, or probably anybody here, is who's your one? February of 2018, really in January, but February specifically, I did a sermon series on Who's Your One. The Hills Church in Fort Worth started this strategy a few years ago. We had a guy named David Meyer come and do some training for us, and the strategy is so incredibly simple. It's just this, who's your one? Like, who is somebody that God has placed in your life that you need to begin a discipling relationship with. We preached on it early March last year. We had Dr. Looney come in. And for those of you who are new to this church, you may not know what we're talking about. And hopefully you'll pick up on that as we go along. 
But for those of you who are here, a lot of you wrote a name down and you had prayerfully considered who's your one, who is one person that God is leading you to begin a discipling relationship with. And to be honest, some of you are probably sitting here thinking, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And that's okay. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I did that. I pursued that for a while, but it just kind of trailed off. Some of you are probably still forming that discipling relationship, and that's great if you are. But we've talked and we've prayed and we've discussed behind the scenes, well, what do we do to accomplish Christ in others? And we still feel that this is the best strategy, but we've also talked about how if you wrote a name down or if this is a relationship you pursued, you might be like me, and you got a little overzealous and you wrote a name down of someone that you would love to see become a disciple of Jesus, but it just wasn't realistic at this point in your life. That's how I was. I wrote a name down of somebody that I really wanted to pursue, but realistically, when we live life, our paths just did not cross that often, so it was a difficult relationship. So I'm going to write a new name down. So I'm going to throw a couple of dates out at you. April 28th, that's the Sunday after Easter. We're going to ask that question again, who's your one? I'll do a sermon on it, but I want you to just think. Maybe you need to choose a new name. Maybe you're choosing a name for the first time. Or maybe you're sticking with the same name. But we still want to unleash you as a church to be disciple makers. And that's one big area we're going to focus on. September 8th is the Sunday after Labor Day. We're going to bring in a guy named Chris Shelby from the Missions Resource Network who has spent his lifetime, his career, making disciples cross-culturally and here in the U.S. And he's going to come And he's an exciting speaker. He's going to speak to us. He's going to equip us. And we'll do some other things along the way to equip you. we got some exciting things planned. But that's what we want you to just be thinking about. Start memorizing Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And be praying and thinking about who's your one and who is God calling you to disciple. It reminds me of Mark chapter 3, verse 14. It's been a while since we were in Mark 3. But in Mark 3, Jesus calls his twelve. Twelve apostles. Jesus had twelve, we're just going to have one. We'll start slow, maybe we can build towards twelve someday. He spent the night praying to God, that's what Luke chapter 6 tells us, but in Mark 3, when he chooses these twelve, Mark tells us so that they will be with Jesus and to be sent out to go and to preach. So these twelve spent three years with Jesus, up and down the road with him, in synagogue and worship with him, watching him, observing him, questioning him, all these things. They, it was a relationship. That's how Jesus discipled his own disciples. And so we're calling you to do the same thing, to disciple someone, to be with them and eventually to send them out. And then Christ in families is that third focus area. And I'll briefly tell you, why this is so important. First of all, we believe that marriages are important. Uh, You might have noticed that over the last few months, we've talked more about our married people ministry than we usually do because we want to bring this back to your attention. We want you to take advantage of this ministry, these monthly meetings that we have called Big Night Out, Because we want you to invest in your marriage. And we want you, if you have a mature marriage, we want you to be able to invest in others. Uh, A month ago, February 24th, we were in Mark chapter 10. In Mark 10, Jesus is asked, 
is it lawful to get a divorce or not? And then Jesus goes on and he talks about the sacredness of marriage and then he talks about remarriage and that's where we were in the text. So I did a sermon on it and I can honestly say I have never been more nervous for a sermon than I was that Sunday. And to be really honest with you, I'm still recovering from that. I think it rewired my nervous system a little bit. And I was nervous, and I've thought about it a lot since then. What made me so nervous? Well, I think it's because there's so much writing on this. You know, we live in a culture where marriages are struggling, where people, uh, th- their marriages fall apart, lead to divorce, whatever it may be. And we, as a church, we don't want to just sit idly by and say, well, good luck. We hope that you stay together. No, we want to invest in marriages. We want to support marriages, and that's why we've increased the conversation about our married people ministry, and as a church, we're going to continue to brainstorm and pray about how we can support marriages, how we can support parents. We'll have some things coming along the way to try to help support you if you're raising kids right now, or even if you have adult children, like how you can be a parent and have a godly home, and how God can be at the center of that home. And then children, obviously. When you talk about families, children come up. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not married, so I don't have a family. Well, everybody's a part of a family somehow. Even Jesus redefined family in Mark chapter 3 when he said, whoever does the will of God, that's my mother, brother, and sister. Everybody is a part of a family somehow, and when you have a family, kids are a part of it. Children are a part of family. And we know... Because we have songs like, Jesus loves the little children. We know Jesus loves children. In Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10, two different times, little children were coming to Jesus, were brought to Jesus, and the disciples were saying, send them away. But Jesus said, no, let them come. And that was not the popular thing to do in that culture. But Jesus had a heart for children. And if Jesus cared about children, you better believe that Jesus cared about families. The best way to love children is to feed the whole family. So there's opportunities at our church to help with our children's ministry. I would encourage you to help with our children's ministry, to get with Jill and to figure out how you can teach and how you can support. We always need teachers. And if you want to help us live out our vision, that's one of the ways that you can do that is volunteer to teach one of our children's classes. To get with Cade, figure out how you can support the youth group. You know, to sponsor, be a role model, be a mentor. But we want to focus as a church, not just for those who are raising young families, but everyone to go together for Christ and family. And we want to focus on Christ in you, Christ in others, Christ in families. So to answer that question, what's most important right now? Well, for our church, we feel like those three areas, that's where we want to pour our focus. Christ in you, Christ in others, Christ in families. When I was 17 years old and one day in football practice, my coach said, forget all that, just play football. And for me, that was what was most important at that time. For this teacher of the law coming up to Jesus in Mark 12, and he says, out of all these commands, what's most important? Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What's most important right now, we could ask ourselves that as an individual, spiritually. Over the last month or so, the way the text has led us, 
has been a lot of self-reflection questions. With the rich young ruler, the question was, there's one thing you lack. So we asked you, what's the one thing? With James and John, with Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10, Jesus asks both of them, what do you want me to do for you? So we've talked about our motive behind how we answer that question, how we pray. Last week we talked about the temple, your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. What does Jesus need to clear out of that temple? And then today we ask this question, what's most important right now? In your own life, in your own walk, whether you've never become a Christian or been baptized into Christ or you've been a Christian for a long time, what's, what's your greatest need right now? Where are you hurting? Where are you struggling? And where can we help you as a church? Now, this morning, we, you saw our shepherds up here during our, our, our prayer for the Hensleys. And I want you to know that we have these shepherds that are going to be around the room this morning. One shepherd will be up front with me. If you have a need, if there's something pressing on you, go talk with one of our shepherds. Come up front, talk with us, and let us pray for you. If you're ready to become a follower of Jesus, we can point you in the right direction for that as well. Why don't you stand back up and let's continue singing.